I guess, I guess one, of the, one of the qualities or values, certainly, of a, a church community is humor, to be able to laugh. And uh, so that's all cool. Um, so just on the name, um, I know that we've been through quite a journey as a church. I think Common Ground has gone through the last couple of years. And so um, it, it's, it, it's coming to an end, um, certainly for us on the 12th, where Ryan will come. And there will be a releasing for us as a, a community. And, um, and we want to make it a, a moment of not a death moment, not a separation moment, but a, a moment of celebration, a life moment. And so we're planning that, and we want to really, um, you know, um, make the most of next week. So please come along if you're in town, and tell the other M5ers, um, you know, tell them to come along. And uh, we really want to um, just have a great time of celebration, and we want to thank Common Ground. I mean, it's like um, the, what they've done in terms of sitting us up has been, it's been uh, really remarkable. So, um, and then if there are people that are processing and feel that, uh, that you want to remain as a common grounder, can you move towards me or Candace, Brandon or Chantal, and let's journey with you, let's process with you uh, to, uh, for us to be able to release you back into, into Bosch or one of the other common ground congregations. Uh, I think that's going to be very important for us to do, to do that well with you. So please, won't you, won't you come to us for that? And, and it's with that that I want to say that we want, we're looking for a name. So um, there's some um, creatives out there, but more than creatives, it's, a, it's a, like in your devotion, in a prayer time, in a moment of reading scripture. If there is something that, that the Holy Spirit stirs in your heart, um, won't you come and also share that with us and, and bring that to the group? And then... Um, We'll have to process all the names and uh, come up with one. But, um, yeah, so that's the journey that we're going on the next, in the next while. Isn't this great? Wow, our first devotional. It's really a good thing. So I just want to come and get my Bible and my notes here. The last time we were in this room, it was a Sunday, and that night the president spoke. And we landed up in lockdown, remember? So let's be praying. <laughs> it's about not coming into this space and not, uh, and not organizing a pastoral care gathering. No, I mean, I'm joking, I'm joking. All right. So, um, as Justine shared, that we're on a, uh, a new sermon series, and uh, in this time of Advent, we are, um, we are starting a series, and uh, we're looking at um, this idea where, where love and justice meet. And so, this is going to be quite an interesting journey uh, or, or, or process or preparation coming up to Christmas as we look at uh, Advent through a justice lens. Um, and so... Um, I'm going to be sharing the first uh, preach with you, and then I think it's Chantal and then Brandon. And we're going we're gonna to go on this journey of, of preparing ourselves for Christmas, but looking through the lens of justice. And so um, maybe it's something that, uh, that is going to challenge you, it's going to stretch you, um, it's going to move you out of your comfort zone. And I'm hoping at the end of that, that we, uh, we have a new sort of... Uh, uh, narrative or a new story when it comes to Christmas, or not so much a new story, but a new expression on the way that we celebrate Christmas. And so I'm really looking forward to this morning, and um, I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks. And also, please get involved in the devotional. 
um, get involved in your life group, and uh, and and this is allow this journey to be one that 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 forms you and stretches you. All right, so we are in a, a time of Advent, and it's a period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so it's the, 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 the four weeks leading up to Christmas, and that's what, that's what um, Advent is all about. It's preparing for the celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, and uh, as I said, we're going to do it a little bit differently this time. And before I get into sort of um, the message this morning... I, I guess looking at Advent in a different way or looking at Advent in the way that we, we used to look at it, I'm not sure about your Christmas celebrations. I'm not sure about your preparation. When you set up your Christmas tree, when you open up the presents, when you go and have your lunch and, and all of that, uh, I mean, I guess there's, there's, there's those aspects to Christmas. And, uh, but when we look at Christmas as, a, as, a, as an event... So often we see Christmas as something that uh, there is uh, overcrowding, even with uh, sort of the restrictions at, uh, at this time in our history. Um, shops and, and, and malls are full, so there is overcrowding, there's uh, overindulging with the, uh, the, um, you know, the, the food that we prepare and the food that is left over over the weeks, so and not only overcrowding, not even overindulging, there's also overspending, the danger of buying presents um, that others don't need with the money we don't have. You know that experience and where you've got to go on holiday and you've got to buy these presents and then, uh, or you're going to get presents and you'll have to buy. So there's overspending um, and there's also over-demanding. And so when you actually think about Christmas, I don't know about you, but for me, I, like, it, it, it was a time that I, I didn't enjoy. It was a time that was like, you know, it's a time where we're supposed to celebrate the birth of Christ, but there's so many other things over and above that, that sort of takes its toll. And I'm hoping in this time together... We will, you know, we're not saying don't have family time, don't get presents and don't enjoy, you know, making good food. But I want us to refocus as we prepare ourselves for, for Christmas, as we look at sort of uh, this Advent period. And uh, I really want to encourage you that uh, lean in and apply yourself as we, as we engage in this time together. I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 6. And it's a well-known scripture when it comes to sort of uh, looking at, um, at Christmas and the preparation of Christmas. And, uh, um, yeah, I've, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed looking at this portion of scripture. So if you can get your Bibles, if you get your phones, let's turn there. And I'm going to spend all of my time there this morning, and I'm going to break it down for us. And uh, it goes like this, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And uh, verse 7 and 8, I'll get on a little bit later, or just verse 7 a little bit later. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And um, it's such a powerful portion of Scripture, particularly in helping us prepare ourselves for Christmas, 
But the first thing that I notice when we read this portion of Scripture, there is a, there is a prophecy uh, relating to the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, in Isaiah, it's quite interesting. There are two references or a couple of references to this, to this child that is going to be born, to this child that is going to liberate, to this child that is going to bring freedom. And actually, in verse 1, it says, um, There will be no more gloom for those that were in darkness. And so we also know that Advent is about uh, the understanding the Latin for Advent is, is coming. And, uh, and uh, the focus of Advent is light, and there are different candles that represent different aspects of the Christmas story. And uh, as we go into this Advent uh, uh, season, as we look at this series on justice, there, it's so important for us to understand that it is Jesus that, that is... Um, prophesied that he will come. But we've got to know the context. So, so Isaiah is writing 700 years before the birth of Christ. And what is happening to the people of Israel is they're being invaded by Assyria, and, uh, and they are taken into captivity. And so it's a dark period in the history of Israel. But actually, if you read through the Old Testament, there weren't many good periods. Um, either the people were politically invaded, or the people of Israel turned their back on God. And there's this constant call of God through the prophets and uh, through, through um, uh, uh, the leaders of the day to come back to God, to walk in step with God, to serve God as, as Lord and Savior. And we find ourselves here in the book of Isaiah in this, in this place where there is darkness, where there is, where there is uh, uh, um, um, what's the word? Where there is gloom. And so what Isaiah is doing is prophesying into this darkness. He's prophesying into this gloom. And he's saying, and to us a child is born and a son is given. There's another scripture that Isaiah, or there's another scripture that, uh, that, we, that we read that Isaiah mentions the, the, the prophetic word or this prophecy of the, the, the coming Messiah, the coming Son of God. And it's in Isaiah 7 verse 14. And we, and we know that one as well. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and, he, and, and, will, and, call, and will call him Emmanuel. And so as you read around the scripture, as you read the context, as, as you understand where Isaiah is coming from, there is this prophetic um, uh, voice, there is this prophetic declaration that God is going to liberate the people and he's going to liberate the people through a person. And that person is going to be born as a human being. And so when we look at this idea of a son is born, there's a couple of things that come to mind. It's the fourth, it's the fourth telling of, um, of the birth of Jesus, that God will come to his people, Emmanuel, God with us. So God is going to come in the person of Jesus Christ. God is going to be with his people. Um, not only is he going to be with his people, he's going to presence himself with his people. There will come a time where God will presence himself with his people. And so when you look at Isaiah chapter 7, it's about Emmanuel, God with us. There's a description or a, a, a sort of a, an understanding of what this child is going to do. But when we look in, in Isaiah chapter 9, we see that uh, Jesus, this child, the son that's going to come, Jesus Christ that's going to come, the, the government will be on his shoulders. And so what is it saying there? That Jesus is going to come as a leader. Jesus is going to come as a leader, and he's going to liberate his people. And it's important for us to understand those two aspects there. But this idea that we celebrate, for us a child is born, a son is given. I don't want to rush into the rest. Just to ponder on there for a moment. You see, at Christmas, we remember the central event in history, in the history of the world. 
the very thing that the whole story has been about, and that is Jesus Christ. We're celebrating the most important person who ever lived, the centerpiece of all civilization, Jesus Christ. And then we read other prophecies of, of how Jesus, or where Jesus would born, where, where Jesus would, would be born, and how he would uh, sort of, and, and uh, what town he would be born in, and, and, and where he would be born in, in a manger. And all of those, those prophetic words are given. And it's amazing to see how all of those prophetic words are fulfilled in this child, in this child of Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand, the reason why I'm just pondering on here a little bit longer is because we need to understand that God sends His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes as the light into the darkness. Jesus Christ comes as God with us, that God presents Himself with us. So as we prepare ourselves for this time of, of, of Christmas, it is about God presencing Himself with us in the person of Jesus Christ. One commentator says this, There is majesty in the midst of the mundane. There is holiness in the filth of sheep manure and sweat. There is divinity entering into the world on the floor of a stable, through the womb of a teenager and the presence of a carpenter. God comes near. God positions himself with his people. God has this plan to be with his people. And so we see Isaiah talking about this. And he says, a child is born, a son is given. And it goes on and it says, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. It's interesting going on to that next line uh, where it says, and the government will be on his shoulders and the government will, okay, and the government will be on his shoulders. Um, what does that mean? Well, putting it into context, just reading a little bit further, in verse 7, it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time, from that time on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so what Isaiah is telling us is that there will be a child that will be born to us, and he will be a great leader. And you sometimes, when you read scripture like that, you, can, you almost want to forgive the disciples and, uh, and the followers of Jesus of the time where they thought he was going to become this great political liberator, where he was going to come and he was going to defeat the Romans. We, we can almost sort of give the benefit of the doubt to the disciples for that when you read scripture like this. But what we see here is that, uh, that uh, Jesus will uh, lead his government. And the government is not like the government that we know today. It's about a realm. It's about a kingdom that, uh, that Isaiah is talking about here. And it's this government is going to, it's going to be the rule of God through Jesus Christ. It's going to be his, do, he's going to be his dominion over the world. And this, or this authority or this kingdom or this government that comes from God through the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be, it's going to be great, and it's going to have peace, and that there will be no end to that peace. Um, he will sit on the throne, the throne of David. So there is the the, the, the legitimacy of his of his kingship. Um, so he will sit on a throne. He will have a kingdom. He will, ups, he will establish and uphold his kingdom. Now, here's the interesting thing, and I'm getting there. He will establish and uphold his kingdom through prayer, 
through worship, through fellowship, through discipleship? No. What? He, so how is he going to establish and uphold his kingdom, his government, his domain, his authority? He's going to do it through justice and righteousness. Oh, man. This is a message you don't want to hear leading up to Christmas. Because I don't want it to spoil the Christmas. And so what has it evoked in me as I've prepared this message? You know what has it evoked in me looking at justice, looking at Advent through the, just, through the lens of justice is that it reveals to me that like, God is real. It's not a heavy. It's not a like, oh boy, but you know that I live in South Africa when you talk about justice and righteousness. Actually, when, when we study the birth of Christ through the lens of justice, it, it, it like, we're not playing games. <laughs> like, Christianity is real. So it's not a heavy this morning that I want to bring to you. It's an encouragement. It's a sense of saying like, okay, well, there's this prophetic word that Jesus will come and live with his people. He will be God, but he will also be a great leader. And he will establish his kingdom and his rulership through justice and righteousness. Through justice and righteousness. And so we're going to go on a little bit of a study to say, well, how does, what does that look like? How does, how does Jesus establish his kingdom Today, through justice and righteousness, because as Jesus came and established his kingdom, the kingdom of God was where Jesus was, the word and the works of God. I mean, the word and the work of Jesus, that's how he established his kingdom. Wherever Jesus went and, and declared God, wherever Jesus went and was God, there his kingdom was established. And so the kingdom of God is amongst us today, here in M5, because of the work of Jesus. So if Jesus has established his kingdom, then he calls us to continue the work that he started. And so as we sort of establish and continue to uphold the kingdom of God, it must be through justice and righteousness. Man, there's a whole lot of other things. We can pick that up next year. But as we look at the, 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 the idea or the subject of justice and righteousness, that's how Jesus, or that's how God is going to establish and uphold his kingdom. And it's going to be from this time forever. From this time forever. So there are a couple of things that I want to highlight when it comes to this idea of justice. And they're just scriptures that, that we're going to look at. The first thing is that, that in, this, in God establishing and upholding his kingdom through justice and righteousness, we see that God writes and gives a law Related to justice and the way we need to, or the way the people in the Old Testament needed to live a life of justice and righteousness. Jeremiah, take these scriptures down because you can go and read them. Jeremiah 20, 22 verse 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the, from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence. To the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you don't do these things, declares the Lord, I swear by myself that this palace will not come to ruin. So what we see here is that God is giving the leaders of the day 
the understanding of what it is to live a just life, to live a righteous life. And it talks about those that are oppressed. It talks about those that are robbed, that, that, have, that have done wrong to. It talks about the foreigner. It talks about the fatherless and the widow, the fatherless, those that are marginalized, those that are excluded from society. And it's quite, it's quite um, strong, the language that comes to us when we look at this understanding, that, uh, th- uh, this understanding of justice. So God is, is wanting to instill in the leaders of the day to lead in a way that promotes justice and righteousness and allow that to filter through to the people. But he goes on a little bit further. He says, Woe to him who builds a palace um, by unrighteousness. He goes on and he says, um, he goes on to say, um, He who defends the cause of the poor and the needy, all their needs will be met. So as you reach out to, to the poor, to the fatherless, to the widows, as you reach out to those, there will be a blessing that will come to you, says God. And he says this to the leaders, and the, and the leaders need to share this to the people. And so th- we see within the Old Testament that God is very serious about justice and righteousness. And he wants people to live a just and righteous life. But what's quite interesting is we read further in the Bible. So that is set. The law is set in the way that people need to to, to live their lives. And what we find in the Old Testament is that people don't live their lives that way. People don't live a just and righteous life. But they still call themselves, they still believe in God. They still call themselves the people of God. But here's the reality is that when you don't live a life of justice and righteousness, you know what God thinks about that? And like you say, oh, it's the lens of the Old Testament. But, but we need to understand what God thinks about that. Whereas if we live our lives and we, uh, as Brandon says, spiritualize the scriptures or spiritualize things. And we, and we don't live a life of justice and righteousness. God is not pleased. This is where my challenge came in. This is where, where, where the rubber hits the road for me. Is that like as I live my life as a Christian, what justice have I done and what righteousness have I lived out? Well, I'm a good person. I, 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 you know, I don't cause harm to people. You know, I just get on with my life. And if I just read the Bible, that I can live a prosperous life, and we all can. In actual fact, we can read the Bible without even accepting Christ, and you'll live a prosperous life. But as we look at the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ through the lens of justice, we need to understand that God holds justice so seriously. He goes on to say, um, he goes on to say, there's a three verses. He goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15. When you spread out your hand in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. And it says that as you pray to me, I'm not listening. And the context of that is that what is happening is that the people aren't living a just life, that aren't living in righteousness. And, uh, and, and, and God is saying, if you don't live that life, I'm almost, you know, the way you live your life in, in an attitude of justice and righteousness, there is a connection between you and God that happens. We read, we also read in, in Amos chapter 5 verse 21, he goes on to say, I despise your religious festivals and your assemblies. And he, you know, and he says that we need to live a life of, of justice and righteousness. And so the people of the day were coming and having these religious festivals, but what they weren't doing is they weren't looking after the widow. They weren't looking after the fatherless. And they were coming together and they were, and they were engaging in all these festivals 
And then God goes on to say, like, and he says, um, I do not accept your, your sacrifices. Then he goes on to say, but let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream is that when you engage in justice and in righteousness, then your sacrifice and your festivals, God says, it, it comes to me uh, as sweet music. It comes to me as a, an offering acceptable to me, says God. Then we read Isaiah 58 verse 6. And he goes on to talk about a type of fasting. And he says that the people are fasting. Um, I just want to read that. Sorry, I've written it out and I can't read my writing, so I'm going to turn there. Isaiah 58. He talks about the people fasting and he says, Your fasting cause strife and, uh, and uh, wicked fists and quarreling. And uh, that's the type of fasting that he's, he, he's, he doesn't want. He says, um, It's not the type of fasting that I have chosen. Uh, is this not the type of fasting that I've chosen? So he's giving them the right type of fasting. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. It is, isn't, is it not to share food with the hungry or to provide poor or to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, to clothe them. Not to turn away, um, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be at your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. Wow. So justice and righteousness is so linked to the way that we live our lives for God. Even to the point of God saying, if you don't engage in, these, in, in this way of righteousness and, and, and justice, it's almost like my, eye, my ears are closed to your prayers. Now, now, don't hear what I'm not saying here. I'm talking about this idea of justice and righteousness. That uh, Can we live our lives as Christ followers uh, without engaging in justice, without living a righteous life? And continue to pray to God. Continue to read our Bibles. Continue to grow as Christ's followers. When you read the Old Testament, it would suggest that part of our lives, part of our Christian lives, there must be justice. There must be righteousness that flows from us. Because the scriptures say that God says that he'll be at your rear God and he will be there with us. He will be there with us. And so we read these Old Testament scriptures of like how important justice and righteousness is to the Christ follower or to the, to, to the person that, that lives for God. But then as you go into the New Testament, man, there's so many scriptures there that talk about living our lives as Christ followers with justice and righteousness. There's that scripture in Matthew 25 where, 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 where Jesus talks about coming to the end of the age. And he says, you know, I was, you know, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And people say, well, when was this? And, and, and there's that phrase that, that God says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do, to, you do unto me. 
So now, now what we're discovering is that God sets the law in the Old Testament to the kings and the leaders to live a life of justice and righteousness. Then we see how important it is for God followers, for, for, for uh, 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 um, Christ followers, to live a life of justice and righteousness. And it goes a little bit further in this, well, in my study and just my reading, to almost God identifying himself with the widow, the fatherless, the outcast, the marginalized. We read in Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt um, to their maker. Let me read again. Whoever, so whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt to their maker. In Proverbs 19, verse 17, um, whoever is kind to, uh, to, to the poor um, leads to the Lord. And so what, what God is saying here is that I'm identifying myself with the poor, with the, the fatherless, the widows, the marginalized, the outcast. Um, I, I, as you see them, you see me. And then we also see Jesus as he comes and establishes his kingdom on earth. In Luke 4, verse 18, when he reads from Isaiah 61 about that passage, and unto us a child is born, and, he, and, and Jesus reads this. He, he says, uh, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness to the prisoners. Now, we can spiritualize that. But if we take it all the way back to Isaiah, we realize that it is about justice and righteousness. And that Jesus, as he declares that, he says, my kingdom comes. And as I come, I will uphold and establish my kingdom through justice and righteousness. Through justice and righteousness. And so it's quite an interesting thing as you read the scriptures, isn't it? How important justice and righteousness is to God. And in our life groups, we had, that, uh, we had um, the life group material. And uh, it's so important just for us briefly before I, I go into the last section and, and, and we'll close. Just this idea of, of justice. When we think of justice, we think of fairness. And we think of equal treatment, don't we? When we think like we've got to be just, there's got to be righteousness. We think of fairness and equal treatment within, within society. And there is also the debate between uh, social justice and biblical justice. And I don't want to get onto that today. I want to talk about justice and what justice means. And so from the study this last week, there's some great notes about what is justice, what is the understanding of justice. And just a, at a high, level, a high level understanding is that um, we know that God is just and, and God created everything. And as he created everything in creation, it was just. Um, humans lived in, in unity. Humans lived justly in relation to God with each other and with creation. We know that in Genesis. Um, there was right and good relationships that God had created that all. The biblical concept of, of justice describes conditions, material, emotional, and spiritual sort of conditions in which people flourish in right relationships, in right relationships. And so when something damages it or destroys these relationships, then we need to engage in justice to restore those relationships. And so anything that comes and destroys our relationship with God, anything that comes and destroys relationships with each other or tarnishes relationships with each other and creation, then we are, are, are encouraged to engage with justice. Injustice is the consequence of sin. Injustice is the consequence of sin. Another way I, I heard of it is like uh, truth is the way, things, the way we do things, 
Justice is the way we should do things. And so there is this encouragement for us to restore relationships, relationships with God, with each other, and with the world. And God, God's response is to continue um, to building justice in this world. And he does it through us. He does it through his kingdom. And I think that's why God is so serious about justice in the Old Testament, because justice comes against sin. Justice comes and brings restoration, as we heard this morning. Justice comes and builds that which God wants to redeem, to restore, to, to, to bring to wholeness. Justice is about confronting injustice. Justice is about confronting the consequence of sin. Justice in our sinful world is about restoring peace and bringing into individuals, into communities, into our country, this, this peace that comes from God. So I close with, in that scripture, it says, unto us a child is born, a son is given. Then it goes on to talk about the government, and I've just touched on that in the Old Testament and New Testament, what it should look like. So what do we do with this? What do we, what do we understand about justice? How do we, what do we take from this? Because you said, Steve, it's supposed to be encouragement. It, it, it is. But we've got to understand the reality of, of what God is wanting for his people and the way he wants to establish his kingdom through justice and righteousness. So how does it, so how does it work? Do we, do, do we build God's kingdom? How does... How does justice and righteousness thrive? We read in that, in that scripture, in Isaiah chapter 9, at the end there, and it says that God through his zeal will uphold this. God will uphold this. And how will he uphold this? He'll uphold this through the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. Now, I've preached a sermon on this before. And I haven't taken the context of justice and righteousness. And you know what? It's a good Christmas message. You know, we have this wonderful counselor. We have this mighty God. We have this everlasting father. And we have this prince of peace. And you know what? Let's continue to live our lives in a godly way. Um, but it's not about that. If the context is about justice, if the context is about God's government, if the context is about God's kingdom, and he establishes his kingdom and upholds it through justice and righteousness, then there's a different meaning to these four concepts. This word, wonderful counselor, we could see it as, a, as, as sort of um, admirable or it's, it's a great thing. But the interesting root word of this, this, this Hebrew word, wonderful, it actually talks about the miraculous. It actually talks, in Exodus chapter 15, it talks about the people's story, how God liberated them from the, the bondage of, of slavery. It's like, that's the wonderful God. That's the wonderful God that has done this for us. And so this, this word, wonderful counselor, so how's God going to establish his kingdom? How's God going to uphold his justice and, 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 and righteousness? Well, it's going to be through this wonderful counselor. So as you live your life, wherever you are, Striving to live a just life, striving to live a righteous life, 
We have this wonderful counselor. We have this, this supernatural counselor. And so when we go to God for counsel, and I can go through this room, and each and every one of us will tell us the time we receive counsel from God. It could be about a relationship. It could be about a business decision. It could be about a relationship that needs to be restored. It could be about something about our own identity. But when we read it in context of God establishing justice and righteousness, we can go to God, and He, will, he is this miraculous counselor. And uh, the counsel that he will give us will help us in, in, in living a life of justice in South Africa, of righteousness in South Africa. How do you do that? You go to the, you go to the wonderful counselor. He will give you counsel that will be miraculous. Mighty God. We see this out of the context as a God that is strong, and it is. He is a strong God. In the context of Jesus establishing his government, that the government will be on his shoulders, this word mighty actually has its root to the, a military sense, a warrior. God is a, a warrior. Oh, God is my warrior. He fights. No, God is a warrior for justice and righteousness. He will fight for you. But the scripture we read is like, as we engage in justice and righteousness, as we live our lives in the way God intended, he will be at our front and he will be at our back. And we see that there is this, uh, it's, it's more than actually a military uh, uh, sort of root word. It goes to a word of being, a, it's the understanding is a hero. That, that God is a, a, a warrior God. He's a hero for the widow, for the fatherless for the outcast, for the marginalized. We know that God will fight for those people. Everlasting Father. Now, we know the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's, it, it's got nothing to do with that. They, they're not like living each other's lives. So what, what is the sense of everlasting Father? Because it, it's related to Christ. Until the Son is born, child is given. What, what is that? some original understanding or study around this word, everlasting father. Father is also known as a source, the beginning of things. And I like the contrast there. It's the everlasting source, everlasting beginning, everlasting father. So there's that aspect that we can get out of that. Another aspect is just the intimacy that we get from Jesus because Jesus represents the father. John fourteen twenty one. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I think that's the essence. That as we engage in Jesus, as we understand Jesus, we, we get to experience the Father's love. Oh man, what about the, the, that's, that, that one like, set of people, the fatherless? The fatherless. That God comes through Jesus and, and represents the Father. That we become children of God. That we are adopted into his family. And the Prince of Peace. Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, but, but I give you my peace. So we get peace from God. But what I love more than anything else is that not only do we get peace from God, but that Jesus is peace. Jesus is peace. Ephesians 2 verse 14, he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. And he has made the two groups one by destroying the barrier the dividing wall of hostility, that Jesus brings peace. 
So as we, as we go through this, this Advent series and we look at this concept of justice and righteousness, is that as we live as Christ followers in Cape Town in South Africa, it's complex. It's politicized. It's perhaps the church has not got the full story. Perhaps for me as a Christ follower, there's some things that I, I don't engage in at a justice level or righteousness, righteous level. And, and we can live as South Africans in our little pockets, and we don't get exposed to the realities of injustice. But I'm hoping that as we, as we go on this journey, that we start reading the Scriptures. As we go on this journey, we start understanding what it is to, to, to advance the kingdom of God through justice. We can call on Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to come before you this, this day, and we, we thank you that we can prepare ourselves for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this opportunity to go on this, this journey as a community, looking at, at, at the birth of Christ, that we can do it through the lens of justice and righteousness. And Lord, it's such a big topic, it's such a, it's such a complicated topic to talk about as Christ followers, but I pray that we won't shy away from it. I pray that we would engage in it. And Lord, as we read the scriptures, Father, I know that you're a God of justice, that you're a God of righteousness. And Lord, we know that we're living in a world that is, that is sinful, and we know that there is so much injustice in this world. But as we start the series and we, we read the scriptures, won't you stir our hearts for what stirs yours? And we know what stirs yours. Won't you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mouth to speak when it comes to the subject of justice and righteousness? I just want to have a moment, just to allow the Holy Spirit just to um, let this word sink in our hearts. And um, maybe you just want to just assess where you're at. And as you heard the message this morning and you're thinking of Christmas as the way it should always be, but, but perhaps... The Holy Spirit is stirring your heart for something different. Perhaps the greatest gift that we can start to unwrap is understanding God's heart for justice and righteousness. And what I want to do is, is those, those, those four descriptions of Jesus and how he establishes justice and righteousness. And I'm going to just read them again. Maybe there's one of them that you want to engage w with Jesus in when it comes to your experience of justice and righteousness and how you're living that out. Um, maybe you need that supernatural counselor. Maybe you need that, that, that warrior hero God. Maybe you need that everlasting father 
see, as much as we are able to understand theologically why God calls for justice and righteousness, there, there is a, a deep sense of love that God would give us for people as well. Maybe there's a, a breaking in your heart or a, a wall being broken to, to those that aren't like you, to those that are marginalized, outcast. To and then Prince of Peace. Maybe this is a time for you to engage outside of your sphere of life and uh, represent the peace of God to somebody that's marginalized or destitute. Or So one of those four. So come Holy Spirit, minister to us this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just get the sense the Spirit is just ministering to us. And uh, I love it because it's an encouragement for us, the church community, that we don't, um, that we don't just have a, a justice ministry team, but that we're a church of justice and righteousness because this is where the kingdom of God is. And so it's just a, an opportunity for us as a church community to engage with the things of God. Just stay in this attitude. Just want to give you this last picture. Jesus came to earth. He was that child. But he became poor. When he was dedicated at the temple, the only thing his parents could afford were two pigeons. That was the, the sacrifice that poor people would give. He rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. He had no home, place to lay his head. He was stripped of his last possession, his robe. He was buried in a borrowed grave. 
He experienced injustice in his unfair trial. And so he went to the cross through injustice. And that as he experienced injustice on the cross, we become vindicated because he took it on himself. And it's in that we understand this one thing. As a Christ follower, a child of God, we have justice and righteousness running through our veins. Let's not ignore it. It's allowed to take root in our lives. Let, let, let us allow it to have its way in us as a community, a church community. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you that we can go on this journey and eagerly prepare ourselves to once again celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys.